Take your Bibles, open them to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and then also open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So 2 Timothy 3 and Revelation 3. All right. All right, so we are continuing our study on Laodicea. Um, I am very excited about tonight. Um, you know, this is one of those nights where, um, yes, that's right. No filter tonight somewhat. Um, but I was, I, I was also concerned. I was excited, but also concerned if any of you had brought some of your liberal friends, because we're going to be saying a few things that they would probably get so annoyed that they would want to leave and burn the church down. Um, but the reason is because we're going to be talking about the truth and that's just kind of what happens when you talk about the truth. So what we're going to talk about with this one is we're going to be talking about the characteristic of my personal rights. And this is the characteristic that really is the tone for everything in Laodicea. So everything that we're going to look at going forward as far as the different characteristics that we're going to work through, all of them are nested under this whole topic. So we're going to spend some time uh, talking about that. All right. So before we go any farther, um, why, why did it mark up? I don't know why it didn't mark up. Okay. So it's going to do a little bit of review. So what did we talk about last week? What do you remember from last week? What are some of the highlights? Let's hit them from last week. Yes, we did talk about Laodicea. Timmy is on the train. He just doesn't know where he's going. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we talked about the 70-week prophecy out of Daniel and where Laodicea fits within that timeline. Week 70. No. 65. In between 69 and 70, right? Because that's the church age. God stopped the clock. When did God stop the clock? Right, at the end of the 69th week, which was what? When Jesus came in on the donkey to Jerusalem where they were receiving him as their Messiah right before they crucified him. All right? So once that happened and then they crucified him, God stopped the clock on the 70-week on the prophecy of Daniel, and now we're in the church age. And how long is the church age? Who knows? God knows. True. We, don't. we really don't know. We don't know how long it's going to be. The only thing that we know is that Revelation 2 and 3 give us what? Seven periods of church history. Yes, we are in the last, the seventh period of church history, right before the rapture. All right, so good. So we were talking about that, and we read through uh, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, which is the letter to Laodicea, and we talked about some of the basic characteristics of Laodicea, and each week we're going to tackle one at a time, and it's going to be very, very relevant to you guys because we are Laodiceans. And the temptation is for us to look out at other churches, other people, our culture, and point the finger at that's Laodicea, which is what we're going to do tonight. We're, we're going to do that. But I want you guys to look at it, and then I want you to look at yourself, and I want you to see how do I do that? Because we all do. All of us do. And that's what we need to do. Because if you're going to want to overcome this and be successful in your Christian walk, then you have to identify, I know that I'm a Laodicean, and even though out there it's bad, what in here is Laodicean? How am I acting like a Laodicea? That's very important for us to consider. All right, so we're going to take a look at this first one. So Laodicea, uh, we talked about the definition last week of Laodicea. It means civil rights, civil rights, civil rights. That's your blank there, civil rights. The rights of the people, my personal rights, my personal rights. And so we're going to read through this paragraph, and I want you guys to kind of get the sense of this, and then we're going to look at some examples from our culture that you guys are very familiar with. 
some of you more than others because you go to a more liberal school where these things are celebrated. Um, and so we're going to talk about some of those things, and then we're going to get into how we're going to counteract this. All right. So let's pray really quick. We'll get into this paragraph. God, help us tonight just to understand the things that you want us to understand. I pray that you bring to light the things in our own heart where we behave uh, as you describe in the letter to the Laodiceans, that we may just see it for what it is to be honest and to be willing to do something about it. That's the whole purpose of us going through these things. So I pray that you give us wisdom and that you would give us boldness to be obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right, so the seventh and last letter to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 was written to the church of Laodicea. God could have used any city he wanted to wanted to represent the last church age prior to the rapture, but he chose the one with a name that emphasizes the rights of the people and my personal rights. Interestingly, this movement toward the rights of the people is what we are known for in the United States, right? I mean, the whole concept of liberty is just, I mean, it's what we were known for. One could even argue that the identity of the United States of America being rooted in the rebellion against the monarchy of England and the economic powerhouse of the U.S. has been used by Satan to further the worldwide permeation of the Laodicean spirit of this age. I want you to think about that for a second. That's important. Because while we boast in the fact that our country is the freest nation in the world, which it is, when, and this next statement after this is, is, is very important, when you take personal liberty and you take the flesh and you just drag it all the way through to the finish line, the end is what we're seeing in front of us today. And it really began with the rebellion against the English monarchy. I mean, if you, just, if you want to take it back to where it all started, it was, I mean, I mean what started it? Why did, we, why did we want to go and find a new world? Religious freedom. Religious freedom and freedom from? Taxation. That was huge. It was taxation without representation. That the king could just raise taxes whenever he wanted, and the people were suffering for it, and you couldn't worship freely. So those two reasons were the two big reasons why people left to start the new world and then led to the rebellion with, you know, the Boston Tea, tea Party thing or whatever. I mean, you just got all that stuff where it, 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 was, just, it was just a giant, giant mess. So you have all these things that are within our history. Our nation was birthed out of rebellion because my rights are being violated. Interestingly enough, that's Laodicea, okay? So if you take it plus the flesh and then you take it to the end of the road, you get now what you see in our culture. So Satan's using that to his advantage, no doubt about it. So the next sentence here, when liberty is left unbridled by, the, by biblical authority and a submissive heart attitude toward God, it will create a self-willed monster that destroys the fabric of our society dismantles the basic principles of absolute truth and biblical authority and corrupts basic human decency. And this paves the way to the worship and glorification of self over God. And that's really what's going on today. So we've read through 2 Timothy 3 a lot, um, but look at it again. And I want um, you guys to read through this with me. I want you to get this. So um, let's have one person read each verse. So verse 1 through 5 and verse 7. So... One, two, three, four, five, and then seven. Did you already have one? Yeah, I got one. Okay, we'll give it to somebody else. Who wants verse seven? Ken, got it. All right, so go ahead, take it. Second Timothy 3, 1. Just know also that in the last days, there was time for God. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, un, or unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, 
fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of thereof. From such turn away. Verse 7. Go ahead. Yeah, we skipped 6. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so about a month ago, I was writing out this passage just because it was on my heart at the time. And I went ahead and I made the list of all these characteristics and I defined each one. So I just want you to listen to this for a second. So, lovers are their own selves. They are their own God. And I want you to think about our culture. They are their own God. Covetous. Eager to obtain or possess what they do not have. Idolatry. Boasters. They glory in themselves over others. Proud. Having an inordinate self-esteem or high self-worth. Arrogant. Blasphemers. One who is irreverent toward God. Disobedient to parents. Refuse to obey. Disrespectful toward God-ordained authority. Unthankful. Means ungrateful. Not willing to acknowledge the good received. Unholy. Wicked. Defiled. Unsanctified. Without natural affection. Meaning having affection toward unimportant things over the important things. Truce breakers. One who willingly violates a covenant or promise. Unfaithful. False accusers. A liar who accuses the innocent of guilt. Incontinent. Not restraining the fleshly passions or appetites. Fierce. Violent. Savage, easily enraged, furious. Despisers of those that are good. One who scorns godliness, truth, and righteousness. Traitors. One who violates their allegiance and breaches their trustworthiness. Heady, rash, hasty, rushing forward without thought or deliberation. High-minded, know-it-all. They're quick to justify personal behavior and decisions. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Choosing self-fulfillment over selflessness. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They appear godly, but they have no substance. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're constantly taking in knowledge, but never actually applying it in life. They resist the truth. To stand in opposition to, strive against, counteract, and frustrate the truth. And then lastly, it says in the same chapter, their folly shall be manifest unto all men. One day, everyone will see the truth for who they really are. Now, Is that not the spirit of the age that we live in? And aren't these the things that we struggle with every single day? If you don't struggle with any of these things, then you are Laodicean because we do struggle with these things. So you've got to understand that that's exactly what's going on now. And the problem here, and I wanted you to to really see this in its context with, with 2 Timothy 3, is it's all about my personal rights. And when you take it to its nth degree, then we've got major, major problems. So just as an example to kind of see how this works out. So the next point here. In the United States alone, we have proven 2 Timothy 3 by progressing, and I use that term very loosely with quotes on purpose, from progressing from amendments to the Constitution that protect personal liberties and rights to a mob rule society that demands the majority give up their own personal freedoms to appease the few without any consideration of the long-term ramifications. Now the few are demanding that we recognize their own personal right to do whatever when all of us are like, well, what are you even talking about? And it's turning into utter chaos. And so these are just some examples, and you can read through some of the amendments later, but all from you know, the, the freedom of speech, uh, religious, you know, religious freedoms are protected, to the right to keep and bear arms, all the way down to you know, just voting rights. And so these are just some of the constitutional amendments that – 
really do protect our freedom, and we're very thankful for them, and there's nothing bad about them. But once again, without biblical authority leaving these things unchecked, then this is what you end up having. Current societal issues being abused by the name of my personal rights. Flip it over to the next page. And I want you to see this list for a second. And I'm going to go through this list, and then I'm going to explain them. I'm going to give you – because what this list right now that you guys have – of the current societal issues being abused in the name of my personal rights, this list is very politically correct. Oh, it's like government These words that are on your list are words that are constantly used in the media and are used in your schools. They're used in your government classes. They're used in everything. And you live in a culture, because I know you guys feel this, that when you hear these terms, you immediately first think it's a positive thing. Because that's how it's communicated in our culture. This is a very positive thing. Well, I'm going to blow those out of the water, and I'm going to tell you what the actual definition is. Now, I know this is my opinion, but I'm going to tell you what the definition is, and I'm going to tell you it's the truth. Okay? So, the list here. Affirmative action. Race relations. Criminal justice. Gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender issues. Violence against women. Reproductive rights and women's health. So, all these things are spoken of very positively everywhere you go. But here's the reality behind it. Affirmative action. What this is, is the forcing of equal opportunity and equal outcomes for all races, regardless of individual skill and experience. Do you guys get that? Does that make sense? You're forcing an outcome. So affirmative action, for example, one of the big ones back in when I was your guys' age was affirmative action tried to make sure that you had a diverse campus and that for so many white people, you would have to have people of other races, Okay. Now, they would force that. They would force it. So that means there would come a certain point, like let's say a campus allowed 20 white people, and then you had to have at least one black person or one Hispanic. So you might have an applicant list of 30 people. And out of those 30 people, you would have maybe 25 white people and five that were of a minority. Okay? It's just a basic example. You can only allow 20 in. So 20 of the top white people would get into the college. Now, the other five white people, as compared to the last five of other races, it didn't matter what skill level they had. It didn't matter their intelligence level. It didn't matter. They were passed over in order to allow someone else to come into campus. Now, isn't that disrespectful and actually being prejudiced against white people? Yes, it is. Absolutely. So affirmative action actually has nothing to do with what the whole design was is that you're willingly, you're forcing an outcome. You're forcing something to be a certain way, even if it's unfair. So that's something that is just completely wrong. All right, the next one, race relations. In other words, black power, black lives matter, inner city issues, etc. And really, you know, and politically speaking, and I know I'm speaking more politically, but I'm doing it on purpose because we're going to get to the spiritual side in a minute. But race relations, the people that are the advocates of race relations are the ones that are tearing it apart. The reason why we have inner city issues, by the way, most inner city, in fact, I can't, I can't think of a, a conservative inner city area. Almost every inner city area is liberal and they want to keep it that way. They want to keep it that way because they have voters in their back pocket. So they're not interested in improving race relations at all, at all. They want to keep it divided because if they can keep it divided, then they can actually tear people apart and they've got votes in their back pocket. Criminal justice. I know if Andy could speak on this, he would be ticked. And this is the deliberate undermining of law enforcement authority and the rule of law. Deliberate. Making people not respect authority on purpose 
and making them seem as if they're prejudiced. Now, are there people that are prejudiced in law enforcement? Absolutely. Is there corruption in law enforcement? Absolutely. But is it the majority? No. But what happens is you get people to think that it is the majority and then there's no respect for authority. And it's not right. It's not right. (coughs) Gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender issues. This one's a hot topic today. But all this really is is mainstream approval and celebration of the mental illness of biological dysphoria. That's really what it is. You know what dysphoria is? Anyone give me a good definition of dysphoria? Mental issues. No. Dysphoria. Dysphoria basically means that you are not content with how things are in life. So if you were to apply that to gender dysphoria, which, by the way, if you use that term today, that's actually offensive when it wasn't five or ten years ago, but things just change. Gender dysphoria is I'm not happy the way that I'm designed biologically, therefore I want to be different. So even though my biology says I'm a male, I feel like a female, therefore I'm a female. That is gender dysphoria. So the mental illness of biological dysphoria also applies to gay and lesbian and transgender, but gay and lesbian especially, because think about it. Someone who is a male and they want to have sex with another male biologically, how does that work out? Can you procreate between two men having sex? No. No. You can't. Two women. Can you procreate two women having sex? No, you can't. So what they're saying is, I am not happy with how I am designed. I know that I'm a male and that I belong to be with a female to procreate on this planet, but I am not content with that. Therefore, I'm going to be different. That is dysphoria. And it is a mental illness because you're refusing the way things are designed naturally to go against the grain of it. I'm not content with it. I want to be different. And the only thing that it can result in is mental illness. Okay. Once again, I said it wasn't going to be politically correct. So, all right. And then the next one, violence against women. Who wouldn't be against violence against women? (laughs) Unless they're a flat out jerk, (laughs) right? But this is involved in the Me Too movement gender equality, etc. I mean, just to use one example of this that just flies in the face of, of all logic, the military for the longest time were men only. Does anyone know why? Timmy. Men are biologically stronger. Yes, biologically stronger. And? Men don't have women issues in the field of infantry. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say that women can't be in combat, but... I have talked with uh, at least a handful of soldiers that talk about the issues of women being on the front lines with them in battle. It has nothing to do with being sexist at all. It's just fact, logic, and reason that men are better on the battlefield. It doesn't mean they don't come home and they are damaged or they have to work through PTSD or things like that. All those things are totally, totally true. But biologically speaking, I mean, think about this for a second. Let's say you... And let's say, okay, we'll say you're out with a squad and let's say there's, there's six of you and you're, you're raiding a home out in Afghanistan or out in Iraq or wherever you end up being at that point in time, okay? So you raid the home, half your team gets taken out. Now, you don't know how many or who they are, but let's say it's you and one other person left and it's you and the woman left and you have to try to make your way back to wherever you're supposed to be, Okay. You get split up, and now it's you and this one woman. Now, let's say the guy gets shot. Now, what's the rule when it comes to soldiers? No man left behind. Now, this woman, 
is going to have to haul this man and all of his gear out to safety. Now, I'm not saying it's not possible because there's some women that are, you know, able to handle things and they, it's just, you know, but for the most part, women are not designed to be able to do things like that. It's just, it's just the truth. People don't like that, but that's the reason. So the reason why the military has been that way is actually to protect women. But people don't talk about that today. Why would they? That goes against the culture. Well, how dare you? You're sexist. All right, fine. Let's let them in. Fine. Let them in on the front lines and then see what happens. And that's what's going on. And there's a lot of soldiers that are very frustrated today. And now they can't talk out about it because it's flying in the face of our culture. It's terrible. It's terrible. So if women want to be equal, okay, then let's be equal and then see what happens. And it doesn't end very well. Reproductive rights and women's health. And this is very harsh and very black and white, but this is the justification of all women to murder unborn babies. That's really what it comes down to. It's my right to kill this unborn baby. But most people will never use that language because it's not politically correct. But that is the truth. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. They say it's wrong to murder someone, yet they're murdering unborn babies. Shouldn't that be a crime? Yeah, it should be. But then there's the whole debate on when is it actually a human and all that kind of stuff. And that can just go down a whole other rabbit trail. Yeah. We talk about this in anatomy since, like, we're talking about, like, our, like, makeup and stuff. Yep, yep. And, like, it's because we call it a zygote. Yes. So they don't want to call it a child to begin with because it's one cell. Yes. And then it multiplies. And I'm like, but you find out, you don't find out you're pregnant whenever it's that tiny. You find out you're pregnant whenever... It has a heart whenever it starts developing because mm-hmm. there has to be something there for you to find. Yeah. Which, oh, yeah. Nuts. And just as a side note on this one, so if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, if you've ever heard this before, but the moment the sperm enters into the egg, you guys know what happens? There's a flash of light. There's a flash of light. It's quite interesting. They found this and they've always wondered why that is. But hold your spot here and go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So the moment that a sperm enters into the egg, there's a flash of light. And they describe it as a chemical reaction. But nevertheless, it's a flash of light. Okay? Now, in light of that, no pun intended... Let's go ahead and read John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, it's quite interesting in light of that, just to consider... When does life really begin? It's my opinion, and I know it's just my opinion, and I can't prove it until we get to heaven one day, that the moment that sperm enters into that egg, it becomes a human being, and God knows who that person is going to be. So even if it continues to develop and that it doesn't become a baby and born, a miscarriage or other something else that happens during pregnancy, which happens to you know women, that it will be in heaven one day. Right. Absolutely. It's not necessarily when the heart begins to beat. I think it's when the sperm hits the egg. So that's just my opinion, just based on what the Bible says. Okay, so that is not politically correct, but I wanted to at least share that with you guys. All right, 
So here's what we're going to look at. And I want you to see how everything that we just talked about, I want you to see it. And some of this you may have seen before, but I want you to see it. Some of it's really humorous and just a bit of a joke to poke fun at Laodicea. But some of it's really serious. So, so we're going to start off with the serious ones first. All right. So we're going to look at example number one. I'm going to see it. Hopefully this works out okay. I will skip. What? Raising babies. I don't know if you've ever heard of babies. Of course, after St. Jude. Teddy and I would love some tea. Okay. Are we a normal family? We have two kids. Order Domino's for dinner sometime. All right, I'm ready to go. In many ways, we fit the, the kind of normal stereotype. Our kids, Kate and Zyler, are three and a half years old, and we're raising them using they, them, their gender-neutral pronouns, so that they can decide for themselves uh, when, if, and how they want to identify as a gender. or the gender of your child is important to other people partially just because it's part of the social script. They don't notice that they're any different from any other children because they have no idea that some children are she and some children are he. All right. To them, they're all children. Um, so like, they don't notice any difference in the other kids that they're with. <coughs> A lot of young girls are Gender is something that's that's fluid, and you know, a lot of people have penises identify as being boys, but that that's not something that is necessary if you feel like you're a girl, um, and vice versa. There is research that shows when you use gender binaries in our language, when we say good morning, boys and girls, or when we just say to our kids, "Come on, girls," or "What a smart boy you are." using gender to sort and categorize and label kids. We do know that that increases gender stereotypes. Do you want the hair clip in your hair? Yeah. Can you help or you do it yourself?
a result of raising our kids as babies and hoping that they'll grow up and be supportive of other people and who they are and how they feel and really confident and happy in who they are themselves. Okay. So, what do you think? Those parents are in the wrong. Are the kids? They said tell. they won't disclose it. I can tell. So no, 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 none of you figured it out? I think they look like boys. Yeah. yeah. No, the blonde one's a girl, I'm almost sure. The yeah. bla- brown-haired one's yeah, a boy. Yeah. This is like, um, you know singer Pink? She's raising her daughter to know that there is no gender. Right. And that, like, that's what this reminds me of, because she said, like, you know, gender is, like, something that holds people back. But also in this, whenever they said, like, you know, they tell girls, don't be dirty, be careful. I was like, be careful. I mean, you tell every kid that. Mm-hmm. You don't want them to go and hurt themselves, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And like, you know, today we don't really tell boys not to cry because you can be emotional and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with being emotional, but they always take it as like a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't need to change their gender just because you want them to be more emotional or just because you want them to be careful. Yeah. I'm like... Those things are, like, what you should be doing anyway. Well, think about it this way. So she said the whole point was to make them more confident and more sure and more supportive of other people. When in reality, it's going to be the opposite. And this is what usually happens with liberal mindsets. The things that they are pursuing, what they're doing to pursue that actually results in the exact opposite of what they were trying to do. Because think about it this way. When I was your guys' age and younger, growing up, my biggest issue facing my friends was divorce. And it was odd. It was different. Like, you know, I grew up and my, my parents, they, they loved each other. They were committed to one another. And so the concept of divorce has just kind of baffled me. And Lucas is now facing that too. Like even just last week, we were going home from somewhere and he asked me, he's like, Dad, do you keep your promises to mommy? And I'm like, well, I try to <laughs> as best I can. But then he started talking about his friend at school and how he, his, his friend's mom was divorced from his dad. And so he wondered if I was going to keep my promise to, to Megan. And I'm like, so he's working through that now. And that's caused confusion in his little mind about something that, that isn't, isn't right. And so now how much more confused is he going to be where he's going to come home one day and he's going to be like, so my friend, whatever, Josh could be his friend. No pun intended. I'm picking on you. Joshua, his friend, you know, he says he's a girl, but I know he's a boy. What kind of confusion that is that going to bring to my son? And then my son's reaction to that boy who wants to be a girl and how it's going to make him, her, he, she, it feel. You know what I mean? Like it's just going to cause more confusion. And it's going to completely break down our, our society eventually. That's the end result. So I want you guys to see this video too because this next one really brings to light something that was just very, very good. And so I wanted to bring this up. Come on. There we go. Good try. <laughs> you have to bifurcate it. This is Caitlyn Jenner got a Courage Probably Award. Probably not. Is she brave? Of course she's brave. All those years invested is is this sports legend. To come out transgender is horribly difficult. It is the most difficult thing you could do. I've been overseas, I've flown uh, a helicopter mission, surveillance missions, I've been shot, stabbed. Being brave is being yourself. And being transgender is 
is about the bravest thing you can do. Does she deserve the award? Yes. Why are we mainstreaming delusion? It's not delusion. Why, you, why would you call it delusion? Did you guys catch that? Ben Shapiro said, why are we mainstreaming delusion? Now, by the way, I paused it for a second because I want you to, I want you to get the context. So this guy here who is, you know, dressed like a woman because he's transgender, he just said that he's flown overseas, helicopter missions, has been shot and stabbed, and he said the, the most brave thing you can do is to come out as transgender. Just let that sink in, okay? All right, let's continue. Because Bruce Caitlyn Jenner, I'll call him Caitlyn Jenner. No, it's that's her. Not. You're not being polite to the pronoun. Because disrespect. It, okay, forget about <laughs> the disrespect. Facts don't care about your feelings. It turns out that every chromosome, every cell in Caitlyn Jenner's body is male, with the exception of some of his sperm cells. You it turns out that he's male. Wait, I need. It to. turns out that he still has all of his male appendages. But How he, he feels on the inside is relevant to the question of his biological status. I totally agree with that. I'm not on that train. I'm not on that train. <laughs> she she wants to be called she. I'm going to call her she. I just have a problem with the message and the messenger. So well, let's let's now let's. I'm going to do two things. I want to re- reiterate what Zoe said, which is the bifurcation of the courage to come forward after a lifetime as a male and a certain kind of a male versus <laughs> did she deserve this award? Listen, the awards, what are award ceremonies except okay. the opportunity to catch some eyes? Especially the ESPN. So, yeah. <laughs> ESPN, well, well done, ESC. They did exactly what their job was, to attract eyes. They did it. That's what award ceremonies are for. But in terms of the science behind gender uh, dysphoria, you, you're very familiar with that. So very familiar. It's not about the chromosome. Excuse me, the chromosomes within we our nuclei. The yeah, chromosomes don't necessarily mean you're male or female. Gender. With gender, gender identity. Go ahead. No, so. Especially, but, but even so, you have a thing like Kleinfelder's syndrome. So you don't know what you're talking about. You're not educated on genetics. Did you discuss the genetics? Well, no, what are no, your genetics? I, I, so I'm still <laughs> from genetics and back to the brain scan. You cut that out now, or you'll go home in an ambulance. Yeah, that seems mildly inappropriate for a political discussion. <laughs> but to be fair, you're actually being hey rude to say that someone who's biologically a male is a male. You're just someone who's biologically male is a male. But Mr. Shapiro, you know, you knew very well that saying that to Zoe would be egregiously insulting. Oh my gosh. So, anyway, so anyway. So I wanted to bring that one up, too, because um, this is where facts and reason, they just don't matter anymore. Okay, so this is one of within our culture. All right. So now here's here's the reality behind it on your guys' study sheet next. I want you to see this. And then if we got time, I'll show you some of the funny ones later. But I want you to see this. How has this mindset impacted the church age and you individually as a Christian? So this is where I want to talk about it. So we, we've talked about things politically, things that are within our culture, things where you can see very clearly the, my, it's my right. If I feel like a woman, then doggone it, I'm a woman. It doesn't matter if I have the biological body parts of a male. I feel like a woman, so I can just sing, sing the Shania Twain song and I just you know feel like a woman. So when it comes down to those things, how has that mindset – think about this, and this is where we're going to internalize it. How has this affected – the local church and you as an individual because we often disassociate we well that's out there that's not in here no 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 it's in here but how has it affected this church our church you personally as a christian yeah go ahead um like naturally i don't want to offend people 
but like with certain things, it's like you can't just go along with it because they say to. Like we have a few transgenders at school, and like no matter how bad I want to go along with what they're saying and like not hurt their feelings or whatever, I know that like what they say they are isn't right and what they're doing isn't right. So like trying to like be loving, but at the same time not like compromise with them. Yep. In those areas. Yep. And I'll take it a step further. Not offending people with spiritual truth. It shuts our mouths. Because we're afraid to speak the truth knowing it's going to upset somebody. I think that's part of it. Yeah, Noah. I was thinking of the same thing. Like, even when Luke and I witness at the mall, like, you don't want to say you find, you look at people and you're like, okay, that's not somebody wants to. But we kind of do that. Like, you try to find people that you think give you the best opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah. And even when you see people that or like that or that or even gay or anything if you try talking to them it's not that we don't want to witness to them or anything it's that the second you do i don't care about offending people and anybody i don't care and uh but trying to talk to them it's impossible to get anywhere because they always just come back right to that subject and even though you're trying to reason with them and just not even trying to offend them necessarily or be offensive or anything you're just trying to give them your reasons and stuff and try to get message of the gospel across they just shut it down because they know they're in complete sin but it's your fault because you're offending them right right and i think with that too the other side of it is is if you ever find yourself in that situation they're using their particular lifestyle to redirect the gospel so they're trying to use it as almost like a shield against what you're trying to say and so what you need to do is learn how to disengage that whole defense mechanism that they have and the way that you do that is that you talk to them about how, well, okay, yeah, I believe that homosexuality is a sin, but it's no greater sin than the sins that I have in my own life. So you equal the playing field by saying, yeah, I'm saying that your lifestyle is is a sin because it's an affront against God, but so is mine. And it's not because I'm a homosexual or anything like that. It's because I struggle with whatever, with whatever it is, because all sin is equal in the sight of God. And so you eliminate that their ability to even use that as an excuse not to hear you by putting you on equal common ground with them. Because that's something that's very, very difficult. I feel like in your guys' culture, the gap is widening between being able to relate to people like that because they live in that lifestyle and you don't. And so then you feel like I can't even I can't even get to them because I feel like I can't even, you know, play in their sandbox because their sandbox is so absurd and so weird and what you need to realize is that you're actually playing in the same sandbox it's just labeled differently your sin is just as equal as their sin and it's one and the same even though their lifestyle might be more you know something that they live that's more i don't know outward i guess you could say uh, yeah go ahead rick and bobby you leaders will probably remember this part. you remember rupaul yep oh, yeah. yep rewind 20 some odd years back. You know, I had friends, I had people in my circles, there's like, oh, so it's like, oh, they're the gay guy, or oh, they're lesbians, and you were just like, it wasn't a big deal. We were friends with them, we were, it didn't matter. Now there's this division, and it's a mindset. Mm-hmm. Because now, that mindset is not going to change. This is ushered in, and that's going to affect the church because churches that are not strong in their doctrine and not strong in their truth are going to fold like a cheap deck of cards, yep. and that's coming. Yep. That's the next step. Is churches are going to fold more and more, and they're going to get more on this bandwagon because sin is going to be 
I mean, sin's already not preached, mm -hmm. but that's where it's going to be. We're going to wind up as a minority mm -hmm. telling people the truth. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's, on, it's on greased rails as it is. Yeah, for sure. Go ahead, Ella. I think, like, the local church, how it affects, I think they change their messages towards what people want to hear. Mm -hmm. but, but I think they teach, like, love overall. Like, yes. even if they're doing something wrong, love them because yep. that's what we're told to do. That's God's greatest law, like, love your neighbor. But, like, I, I have family members that go to that type of church. Like, but when people, like, come out like that, they're like, oh, we'll love you no matter what. We'll pray for you. Like, you can't, you can't do that. Because that just, like, I think it just urges, like, the way they feel. Like, well, they're accepting me. I mean, God's okay with it. Mm -hmm. so. And you have to be very careful because did Jesus die for all people? Yes, absolutely. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, when Christ died on the cross, he knew what he was dying for. Even though we may not know what's to come in the next 10 to 20 years, he did, and he died for them. So we know that. And so that cannot be disregarded whatsoever. But Jesus never excused sin, ever. Uh, I mean, what Jesus said in the Gospels is that it's not the whole that need a physician, it's the sick. But the sick were those that recognized their sinfulness and their need for a savior. So even the religious elite, who were the most conservative of the day, Jesus rejected. And he accepted those that were the prostitutes, the drunks, all that, because they knew that they needed a savior. See, that's the key. When a person lives in outward rebellion against God and says, I don't need God, then there's very little that you can really do. And it's not that you don't care for them, because we do. We love them unconditionally. But at the same time, that's a great point, that we can't just accept them and make them think that God is okay with it when he's not. That's very important. And that's going to be a thin line. You've got to really watch yourself with that. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're all right. You can go. I think it shows us just how patient Satan is and how serious this issue is. Like when you're watching a video about babies, you know, there used to be 10, 20 years ago, it was some, it was a conscious decision that somebody made when they were 20 or 30 or 40 to be gay, homosexual. But now you have people that unfortunately the church has failed to do the mission that they've been called to do that are now investing that diabolical message into their kids. I mean, those kids don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. They're being brought up in that system. To go to somebody now and say your whole life has been a lie, your whole life has been sin, mm -hmm. it's just very difficult. Yeah. You know, my heart breaks for those kids. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Yeah, Jamie. Like, on the topic of kids, like, for us personally, in our family, we have gay family members. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a topic that I am going to have to have with my son. Like, that's a discussion that I'm going to have to have that well, John and Uncle Mike, we love them, but they're living in sin. And how do you reconcile that with a young child to yeah. understand, like, this is my family. Yeah. It's family first. We always say family first. Your family is, you know, like, loves you. And they love my son dearly, and they're good to him, and they're wonderful people. But that's a conversation that I'm going to have to have with my kid mm -hmm. about how we love them and not approve of what they're doing. And for a young child to try to reconcile that, you said, with Lucas, mm -hmm. like, their little brain just can't think that way. Yeah. They just can't really reconcile that together. Mm -hmm. And so like that's the conversation I think for people with like children like now and like young kids, like we're raising them in a culture that raises gay, lesbian, transgender, 
gender fluid, whatever, um, that we're going to have a hard time with our own children trying to raise them in a Christ-like demeanor because mm -hmm. all the things that they're literally enculturated with from the time they were born. Yeah. Like, where we weren't really enculturated when we were born, so we had a little bit more, like, when that came along, we're like, ah, it's not right. Like, yeah. we know that's not right. That's not quote-unquote yeah. normal. But for our kids, for my kid, that's normal. Yeah. This is going to be normal for Logan growing up. Yep. Yep. And it's going to be a constant tug and pull for his heart to reconcile with the Lord mm -hmm. and what this world is teaching him. Mm -hmm. And I think the big thing, and I think the big thing that we have to do in 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 these conversations is we can't think that somehow that kind of lifestyle. I mean, that's what we've been talking about because of some of the videos and stuff. But that lifestyle is somehow worse than someone who is a habitual liar uh, or an alcoholic. Um, because my uncle growing up was an alcoholic. Going over to that house was always super awkward and it was weird. Similar to how going over to a household that's, you know, has two gay men living in it, it would be weird. And we gotta recognize it's all weird because it's outside of God's ordained plan. So as Christians, we need, we need to make sure that we're not jumping on the bandwagon of being more against homosexuality and not necessarily the same way against stealing or lying or you know something else because we need to we need to make sure because that's something that's huge all right so now we're running out of time so i just want to hit a couple more things so the other thing that i think this has really been affecting the church my personal rights okay this is something that i think hits deep and you guys need to think about this and i want you to be careful about this in your future i think this hits deep within our church when it comes to respect for pastoral authority <laughs> Because how dare you as a pastor tell me that I'm not living right? Most people don't understand, and I understand now more than I ever have because now I'm in these situations a lot more. When I go to a person and I have to confront them on something, my gut is upside down and inside out. I do not want to have that conversation with that person. However, I love them and I care about them, so I need to have that conversation. People on the other end of that conversation generally take offense to the things that we say as pastors because they don't think that we actually care about them, which is very strange to me, but it's the culture that we live in because it's the, well, you don't understand. Well, you don't get it. Well, you don't, how, why would you know? And then they just get all up in arms emotionally and they have no idea what we're really feeling on the inside and what we're trying to communicate. And a great verse that I remember Pastor Tom showed me, I love this verse. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And this really helped me out in my responsibilities each and every day, and especially when I have these sorts of conversations with people. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Because Paul rebuked the, the church in Corinth, and so then the second letter is they repented, and so he's writing to them again. And then he says this in verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So he's saying that I don't have dominion over your faith. I'm not the person that tells you what you should and should not believe. I don't have that power, that authority. Only God does. I don't have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. I'm here to, I want you to live a joyful, peaceful Christian life. So if I see something where it's going to call you out on the carpet, 
And so be it, because I'm a helper of your joy. I'm not, I'm not here to pretend like I'm some sort of like God and you have to obey me. No, 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 no. I'm here because I want to help you. And most people don't even understand that. And so all these things, and there's more we can talk about with that, about how it's impacted the church. But how can we overcome this? And so we don't have time to go through this. But what I want to do each week, if, if I'm going to try to see how we can rework this, we have more time to hit this. Uh, but there are several things in Revelation 3, 18 through 22, where God says, how can we overcome this? Jesus specifically says there's some things you have to do. So let me give you your blanks here real quick. So the first thing he says is to buy gold. And that means faith. That is biblical faith. So faith is your blank there. He tells people in this, in this Laodicean culture to buy white raiment. And this is holiness or righteousness. That's your next blank, holiness or righteousness. And then he also says, thirdly, that we need to anoint our eyes with eye salve. And this means that you believe and obey the Bible. So when it comes to these things that we feel, the things that we're working through about the spirit of the age of how we have a hard time offending people or that when pastoral authority enters into your life and you get super offended because they're trying to care for you and you just don't understand that, whatever the case might be in all of those realms and more, you have to exchange those tendencies, those feelings that you have for these three things. You need to have biblical faith. Where does biblical faith come from? Romans ten seventeen. Faith cometh by... Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Biblical faith comes from the word of God. Your, your faith is not based upon your emotions. It's based upon what the Bible says. So you need to go back to that. You need to go back to what does the Bible say, which means you need to know the Bible. You need to buy white raiment. This is holiness and righteousness. When you obey God and you do what's right, you're going to do that which is righteous. And you're going to do that which is holy. You need to embrace those things. Don't go the opposite direction. You need to anoint your eyes with eye salve. And this is believing and obeying the Bible. The Bible is what makes your eyes clear and you're able to see stuff. So when you watch stupid YouTube videos like we just saw, you're like, oh my gosh, that person is mentally ill. They're insane. Yeah, they are. I wish they knew that. But their eyes are darkened. Your eyes have eye salve because you've got the truth. Where you're like, no, 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 that's not right. Keep applying that eye salve. If you stop applying the eye salve, then you're going to go off the rails like everybody else. You will. It's just a matter of time. And then the last three things that God says is that you should receive rebuke and chastening and zealously repent. Zealously repent, not half-hearted. In our culture and in the church, people do not zealously repent. They repent, but they don't zealously repent. They do it in part. They don't do it all the way. That's so important. It's a big difference. And then I wish we had more time to get into this one. Maybe we'll spend some time next week looking at this. Um, But hear the Lord's voice, which is the same as his knock, in verse 20 of Revelation 3, and open the door. When God speaks to you, you're ready to listen and obey and then commune freely and personally with the Lord every single day. So important. So I think that's what we're going to do next week. Instead of moving on to the next characteristic, I want to hit more of how to overcome because we're going to hit this each week. And then I want us to spend some time talking about how can we buy gold? in this characteristic? How can we buy the white raiment in this characteristic? How can we anoint our eyes with ISAB with this particular characteristic and just make it very practical? All right, good deal. All right, we're way over. Let's go ahead and pray and then you guys can get out of here. God, thank you so much for tonight, for the things that we learned. I pray that we would hide them deep within our hearts and let it affect our lives for your honor and for your glory, not for ourselves. Our culture is consumed with self-glorification and just worshiping our own selves as if we are God when you are the only one that is deserving of that throne. So help us to remember that and to be confident and bold, even though at times we may not really feel like it on the inside. It really is perilous times, and I pray that we navigate these waters with wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.